how long we got? Where's our destination today? I don't know. We got 20 miles to cover. Let's talk some movies. People don't know how to drive. Are we going to get lunch on this gig? You see anything good recently? Not really. Right, we got a little time, Steve. Let's do a podcast. Sounds good. Driving around in the suburbs again. That's Steve. right, back in the car. Yes, back in the car again, and uh, well, it's good to be here. I'm Andre Shane. I'm Steve Askin, and today we're going to talk about a movie that you do not need to get in your car to see. No. That's right, it's uh, it's The Irishman. It's time to talk about The Irishman. The Irishman, Steve. I'm pretty excited. Are you excited? I, You know, I'm excited that I'm excited. Because <laughs> okay. it's, it's usually like the beginning of every episode of Film Driven is we're not super excited about anything. Yeah, well. <laughs> but I, I, it seems that way to me sometimes. But this time I'm actually excited because... The Irishman is the new film from director Martin Scorsese, one of our Heard favorites. Heard of it, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, generally regarded as America's uh, greatest living uh, filmmaker. And, uh, and it's argument, a, yeah. And I love The Irishman. I, I wasn't sure, you know, with the, with the stuff before it came out. I wasn't really sure. Am I going to love it? Is it going to yeah, be Yeah, I was, okay? you know, it's one of those, I don't know if you have this, Andre, but sometimes, like, you know, there's something you like, like, you, know, it's a band or a movie or something yeah, like, yeah. and then it's successful. Sure. So then somebody else is like, "What if we combine three of the things you like into this new thing?" And a lot of times it's a little, it's trying too hard. And so that's, I just remember months ago, maybe even as far back as the Oscars, that Netflix had a little promo trailer. Didn't even have any footage really. Just said, you know, Scorsese, The Irishman, Netflix, and it listed. All these, you know, De Niro, Pesci, Pacino, oh. Keitel. And I'm it watching like it, and, you know, and my wife, who knows I love all that stuff, she's like, oh, are you excited? I'm like, well, I'm a little nervous that it's like too on the nose, you know? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> Is this too many of Scorsese's regulars uh, in one movie? Yeah, what if we got every actor you either have seen in Scorsese movies or just kind of feel like they should be mm-hmm. and then we'll call it let's call it good guys what do you think <laughs> you know and i'm like ah is this going to be good or is it going to seem like a bunch of people trying to art but the good news is it is good yeah it, it it is it is very good steve and uh and the interesting thing about it is one of those movies that's on Netflix. Netflix has managed to essentially give a big middle finger to Steven Spielberg and uh, and say, hey, we are cinema. We're not killing cinema. Yeah. We are, in fact, promoting great cinema. And there's the proof, the Irishman. That's right. And I actually did manage to uh, sneak out and see the Irishman on a big screen. So glad you did. So there exactly. we go. We got both perspectives here. And uh, did what do you think about watching it at home? Did it still... Uh, I mean, I know there's... I mean, home video, let's... Has been around for decades. It's been, at this point. It's been so, around. So I mean, yeah. I don't know if there's anyone, any of us have ever met, 
who are like, I only watch movies on the big screen. Right. I'm sure there's all well, sorts of movies every year that you discover at home, yeah. and uh, now one of them is The Irish. Yeah, I, it was great. I mean, you know, on a, on a decent television screen, it's it's awesome. It's three and a half hours. You could pause yeah. when you need to go to the bathroom, which, you know, a man my age invariably does. That's nice, and, yeah. Uh, you could you could have snacks. You could you could have an adult beverage that doesn't cost you twenty dollars. Oh yeah, uh, it's fantastic. And, and honestly, in all seriousness, for me, the best aspect of having it on Netflix is you can watch it again the second time. Yeah, and see if you can catch stuff that you didn't catch because this movie is chock full of shit. Yeah, I mean it's chock full of interesting tidbits. Whether you're into history or whether you're into cinema, whether you're really kind of watching for, like, Scorsese doing homages to Scorsese, which, of course, a lot of people say that this movie in many ways represents just in its very existence. It's a it's a big sort of career retrospective of a certain type of film that Scorsese is famous for. And that tends to be sort of an urban crime film. And of course, Yeah, and that's... You know, it's kind of funny. I had heard that, but watching that, I will say, it seems more just as a natural progression than it is. It's not a greatest hits movie. I don't think so either. Absolutely. Like, I, I was amazed by how restrained it is in yeah. terms of, like, stuff that Scorsese is known for, you know, the bombastic camera movements, the big musical montages that you know, that, that are dramatically ingrained in the film. Like, he kind of uses them sparingly in this one. Yeah. They're, they're here, but he's not certainly waving them at you. Yes, and it's, uh, you know, one of the things we discussed uh, pre-pod, but uh, this is an old man movie. I mean, it's yes. an old man movie yeah. made by some Big men time. who are, by most thinking, sadly, they they kind of are old men now. They're old. I mean, yeah. all the, Everybody's old. The perspective is all of the, the prominent. Elderly. You know, the lead actors, the director, everyone's in their seventies, mm-hmm. and um, and it's a movie about aging as much as it is about um, the life of crime or gangsters. And just like you were saying with the camera movements and the bombastic characters, one of the things Scorsese's always been really good about is kind of explaining things, like in Goodfellas, how you can you know, buy up a bar and then burn it down for fraud, like we get that. Casino has the famous sequence about the money, uh, showing the path of the money. And this movie, I would say, is less... I mean, there, there is a little bit of that in there, but, you know, there's not as much, like, the need to explain to you the day-to-day of uh, Frank, Robert De Niro's character's life. You know, there's a little bit, but it's more just about, you know, his entire life and the aging process than it is like, well, what's the nuts and bolts of being a hitman? Yeah, and I always find that stuff very interesting. As Scorsese always does a very cool job of just breaking down things. Yes. Uh, whatever these things may be, but in this case, obviously, the, the main character is kind of moves up in the world by being a fairly efficient killer. Yeah. And they break it down pretty cool, and he's very, like, cold-hearted about it. He's not, obviously, you have to be somewhat cold-hearted to do that job. But I like the way that that's explained and the way that's broken down, how he talks about the kind of firearms he uses and so on and so forth. Uh, That's all very good. And the near, I'm sorry, Scorsese has certainly done this before, uh, but uh, he does it very, very good here. But back to your point about, you know, the perspective of the film, yeah, it's a... 
It's a movie from an old person's perspective. Yeah. And, of course, a lot of this is, you know, there's so much stuff about the Irishman out there. So so we're going to try to talk about stuff that not everybody talks about. But one of the things you kind of have to talk about is the whole de-aging technology. Sure. Except where they take an older actor like De Niro. And De Niro, in virtually every scene in this film, like, he gets the brunt of the de-aging. And it's a little bit weird, and and there's been a little controversy on this front because it actually does, um, well, it's a little jarring at first. Yeah, I mean, I I will say in the big screen, which, you know, in theory might even be a little softer than, uh, you know, depending on how your TV is set, um, I thought de-aging technology on the actors' faces actually worked pretty good. Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah, but, I, you know, the part that didn't work as well as there are a couple places in the movie where De Niro's character Frank Sheeran is supposed to be much younger like you know maybe and he has some physical activity to do and that was where it really betrayed that you were watching a man in his 70s uh Pretending to be, Pretending a, guy to be a guy in his 30s. And uh, yeah. specifically, there's a scene where uh, he beats up a shopkeeper where his daughter worked. He, uh, his daughter had a disagreement with her boss at her uh, after-school job. I wasn't sure she worked there. I thought she was just shopping there. No, no, no. She was. That was her uh, boss. Oh, and, no uh, kidding. So uh, uh, you know, Frank came and uh, you know beats the guy up in front, and it very it was. It was pretty fakey. <laughs> <laughs> well, not fakey. I mean, like De Niro is like stu- is is quite old, and, like, yeah. and and the movements, his his body and his movements are that of an elderly guy. I mean, just the way he's structured. And I'm I don't know. It it just seems like it just so clearly didn't work. Uh, I'm wondering what was going on behind the scenes yeah. that forced them to cover it in a way that really showed off. It's yeah, because the way it's shot is it's it's it might. I think it's one take. It's a one the take wide shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a one take wide shot. So it's everybody's head to toe. Yeah, it's kind well, of well, not everybody's just De Niro. It's well, really only glaring I mean. on the, De Niro. The, the action is head to toe, but it's it's really it seems odd that they chose like they almost it almost looks like it was shot to make a point that it was De Niro. And yeah. that's yeah, it was a strange the worst point. part of it. It, it was yeah. a strange point. I I think if you don't like if you watch that and you don't notice it. You're probably not paying attention enough. Like, I cannot see that not taking you out of the movie just for a second. Just for a second. And it's a second I did not need to be taken out of the movie for because uh, particularly the, the scene with the shopkeeper is a, is a pivotal scene in the film. It's very important. And I'm not, not the one to question America's greatest living filmmaker, <laughs> Steve, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to question those choices. And I'm going to take a guess that something was behind those choices that we're not aware of. And I don't know, I guess you've got to talk about this a little bit. Now, with this digital technology, like, would you say, would you say that the digital de-aging is 100% there? No, but I did, I thought, particularly on their faces, it worked well enough for my suspension of disbelief. Like, in the same way that, you know, there's a long tradition of where they will age actors the other way. Like, you'll take a young actor and put makeup, makeup. prosthetics, and make him old. Right. And we've all seen examples in both ways. We've seen cases where an actor's made it up to look older than he should be, and it works pretty good. And then we've seen cases where you're, like, it jumps out at you, like, well, that's... I didn't buy it, you know, and, uh, and so I will say for this, I, I did buy it for the most part. Like, you know, there's yeah. clearly, you know, in 
in Scorsese movies. We're all aware of what young De Niro looked like. Right, right. And 70-year-old De Niro, apart from the wrinkles, is, you know, he's, he's meteor. He's got this thing that men sure. do that I don't understand. I've never had this properly explained to me by science about why your head gets larger. Yeah. But like any human, like because if you look at like smarter. a... smarter. De Niro is much smarter now. Like a 55-year-old man and like the same photo of a 25-year-old man. Like your head is just larger. Yeah, your head enlarges. That's yeah, an interesting so thing. Yeah, that's older De Niro, cool. like you can, you can smooth out all the wrinkles, but you're still like, you know, I've seen Taxi Driver and that's not exactly what he looked like. Oh, I know, I know. And, but, and, I, but I bought it. I didn't, right. like I could watch scenes with the de-aged characters and I could accept it and just focus on what the scene was about. Right. I wasn't just staring at their face. Right. You buy it if you don't notice it. Yeah. The, the, that's the thing. The second you start noticing it, the second it jumps out at you, even if you suppress it and you argue against it and you're like, fuck, this is an old man's perspective and this is the way he remembers himself. So he's projecting his older self on his younger body. Like, even if you make all of those rationalizations and they're all rationalizations, if it takes you out of it for just a second, that's a second too long. You don't want to be taken out for that second. So that's really my, really my only qualm with this film. My idea, Steve, is like if you go this route, okay, and yes, you admitted the technology is not 100% there, but based on this movie, I would say it's 98% there, okay? So along the same lines, could they have taken, captured a present-day De Niro performance and then grafted that performance on a digitally created De Niro the way he looked at a younger point in his life because we have all of this, you know, we, we've seen Robert De Niro from the time he was like, I think 19 years old. But so you're saying there'd be someone almost like lip syncing? I, no, I'm saying it would be performance capture technology, the same way Andy Serkis does it and grafts it onto King Kong. Now you capture De Niro and you graft them onto a digitally created younger De Niro. So the entire body that you're watching is a younger De Niro, but the depth of the performance and the voice is current day De Niro. Wouldn't you like to see, like, do you, if they could pull it off at a 98% efficiency, that would be pretty awesome in this movie, wouldn't it? I guess I'd have to see it. It's hard to say sight unseen. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm innovating here, people. Sorry about that. I mean, I will say that, you know, there's, there's the old, there's a very long tradition in cinema of hiring different actors to play the same character right. at different ages. Right. I mean, just even a couple of years ago, we had Moonlight, and the whole premise of Moonlight is it's the same guy at three different ages of his life. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, we're all, and that, for the most part, works fine. I do understand a little bit with this movie why they didn't go that route, um, is because the movie, especially at the beginning, does jump around a lot in time. Like, just even in the first... Right. You know, 30, 40 minutes. I mean, like, we start off, there's De Niro as a very old man. There's De Niro as a slightly younger but still old man driving around with uh, Pesci and their wives. Uh, there's the scene, the flashback to when he meets them. And, like, there's just a lot of different time things. And the fact that it was the same actors, you know, you're like, okay, well, that's the same guy. And then you can tell that without any sort of title card or dissolve or pages of the calendar falling off you right even on the before. table to have other yeah. actors i mean i think the concept was to have de niro be at the center of this film i i don't think there was an option i i you know we could ask another like sort of 
musing question. How about what if the Frank Sheeran instead of De Niro was was played by DiCaprio from his yeah. current age and just age him forward? Keep everybody in the same and maybe swap out one of the other characters for De Niro. Maybe have De Niro play Jimmy Hoffa yeah. instead of Pacino. Now. Of course, that would have denied us the awesomeness that is Al Pacino. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm just saying, like, like, was this thrown around as a concept? But, you know, I have a feeling because De Niro was so pivotal to the overall making of this film, and he was. I mean, yeah. when you see that Tribeca Pictures logo at the front, De Niro really produced the shit out of this movie. I mean, yeah. he... You know, he was supposedly pivotal in getting Pesci to agree to do it. Uh, and he really made this movie. So I think the concept was from the very beginning is that they're going to get these pivotal guys from from Goodfellas, from Casino, and put them... And, and, and of course, also... Yeah, these, no, these it, was, it was very much a, like, let's get the gang back together for, you know, maybe the last hurrah, but if not the last, you know, certainly one of the last hurrahs. And that was... You know, what De Niro said was Pesci was very reluctant. He hasn't acted in a while, didn't really want to. But De Niro was like, you know, his his quote in an interview was, Joe, you gotta. You gotta, Joe. Because, you, you know, maybe this is it. They're so all glad. getting older. Who knows? So glad. But so it's a good time to talk about the performances. Yeah. So, um, I mean, starting with the guy at the top of the bill, Mr. De Niro. You know, we uh, recently talked about Joker. And, uh, man, Andre, you can... Uh, there's a big difference when De Niro is trying and when he's just getting paid, right? Because uh, compared to the two, you know, if anyone listened to our Joker podcast, we were... I mean, De Niro, listen, he's one of our greatest actors. He's done some great performances. De Niro more or less sucked in Joker, I thought. Like, yeah, you know, was, I, well, he was terribly I mean, like, miscast. It was yeah. just stunt casting. It was, well, it was pointless Well, he was miscast, casting. but then, like, you know, De Niro, who in give-a-shit mode might do more to overcome the miscasting, and he seemed to, you know... Yeah. I, and, I, you know, I wasn't on the set of that film. I, can, I know some of these old guys that, like, you know... If, if you're De Niro, I've, Pacino's talked openly about this. Samuel Jackson's talked about this. That there are certain actors who have a reputation of like, you know, they're they're younger directors who grew up with these guys, so they just kind of idolize them and kiss their ass. So they walk on set, and just the fact that Robert De Niro's on your set speaking dialogue, you're like, holy shit, that was great, you know. But then De Niro in his head is probably like, you know, it really wasn't all that great but i'll take your check but in the irishman de niro clearly cared a lot like it's uh it's one of his best performances in years Uh, yeah he plays a guy who uh is you know at the end of the day not that bright um frank sheeran who is the source of the the uh the book also it's kind of debatable about if this whole i mean this whole authenticity of all yeah i mean the whole movie is just takes at face value like, Frank in the Sheeran world of the movie, you, yeah. this is the truth. Is but the in the real life, Frank Sheeran, a lot of people think he was just an old man telling stories. Well, I mean, Frank Sheeran was involved in that stuff and did do prison time. And it's not an old man telling stories. I mean, well, but people they, are saying that he was just way, way, way over, over-exaggerating yeah. everything. And, and, you know, again, these are criminals. They're all unreliable narrators. Correct. Uh, so, you know, I, I think if you get into the this whole subject of like is this true Did, is this how it really happened then it becomes a whole other podcast yeah right? you can't well, sure. talk about but that I, I was just mentioning that but hey, too well, true. frank sheeran you kind of mentioned this how dispassionate there's an argument to be made that he is a sociopath like you know in the purest <laughs> definition of the form because he seems to be a man without 
I guess he has empathy for his friends, but the main thing about him as a hitman in this movie is he kind of seemed to discover in World War II that killing didn't bother him. Didn't bother him Like, if somebody else was like, go over and shoot that guy, he treated it the way you'd take out the garbage or something. It's like, and and when I say didn't bother that, I mean it like as neutral as possible. He doesn't seem to take joy in it. Nope. But he doesn't, he's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that seems to be very authentic to people in that profession. To yeah, me. I, you know, I don't know a lot of professional hitmen. Uh, Probably for but, the best. <laughs> but you never know. Yeah. That may be a useful person to yeah. know. But uh, regardless, uh, the, the the he plays it very well, and 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 the whole like. I don't, you know, I don't know if I would describe him as not very intelligent. Like, like, I think he's an intelligent guy. I think he's just a man of limited ambition. So, whereas you other right other yeah. <laughs> other guys view themselves as generals, uh, he wa- he says at the very beginning, "I was a working stiff." I was. A- he views himself as a soldier, and that's just the way he approaches. Uh, his job and his job sometimes is his job is not always killing. A lot of times, job actually involves. Like taking care of stuff, like the way he does with the cab drivers in Chicago when he first meets Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. So he's not, he's good, and and people always describe him as, like, he impresses people. People find him impressive. They like him. He's likable. It's one of the most likable characters um, De Niro has played for Scorsese. But it's a quiet, yeah, it's a quiet likability and not, yeah, he's not a... uh... I don't know if charm's the right word, but he's not a schmoozer. No. You know, like uh, Jimmy the Gent in Goodfellas, like, was renowned for, like, he was the guy who came in and was life of the party and tipping everybody. And this is very much, you know, he's a man who, his only ambition was he recognized when he saw somebody who he thought had it going on and was like, maybe I could hitch my wagon to that guy. Yeah. I mean, when he meets... um, Russell Buffalino, Joe Pesci's character, you know, he, there's a great part where he's like, you know, he didn't know who this guy was, right. but just the way he acted and he dressed, he's like, maybe this guy on the right, he goes, he owns something. Right. Like right. I could tell he was some sort of boss owner or something. Right. Right. And, Absolutely. you know, I was just kind of charmed by that. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, well, it's a different type of character for De Niro and he plays it very well. And yeah. and uh, he does not give the best performance of the film, uh, but he is in every scene, and he does some amazing work. He does great, yeah. It is, uh, and you watch, you know, it's a man who doesn't express his emotions very well, but Robert De Niro, the actor, does a great job portraying that man. So, you know, yeah. there are multiple scenes in this movie where you see Frank struggling to express something, you know, and just right. not quite having the toolkit to do it. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he's sort of restrained. I, I don't know, it's hard. Like, like, De Niro is an interesting case, and you started talking about his career generally, but, but you know, it, it obviously the last 20 years of De Niro's career has been, you know, he kind of walks through performances. There's no question about it. Uh, clearly, he takes roles for money. There's no question. I mean, just for money, without trying super yeah. hard, you know. And and uh, that's just a reality. And it's a little bit unfortunate because, you know, there used to be a conversation, um, and we've had this conversation many times, 
back, let's say, in the 90s, you know, when, when this would be a common thing. Like, who's a greater actor in that kind of vein? Uh, is it Pacino or is it De Niro? And, and yeah. there, would be some, there would be some debate. And at this point, in 2019, I'm sorry, the debate is over. I mean, Pacino is a way better actor than De Niro. Pacino, Pacino first of all, in the last 10 years, has done all kinds of amazing character work where he's completely... Where he takes on different characters, he yeah. can work in. And I'd play. agree with that. Joe like, Paterno, I mean, he, he inhabits these characters, and he's also a stage guy. De Niro, yeah. you put De Niro on a stage, you may as well I'd be have, lost. have yeah. like a fucking chair up there. Yeah. So it, yeah, even with Pacino's like penchant for histrionics, which we'll get to in a minute, but still, yeah, I think overall he seems to be much more. Yeah, but but this is a great De Niro. If you lo- if you ever loved De Niro, yeah. Well, I mean, I the, the, in preparation for this podcast because I do extensive extensive <laughs> prep for this, as you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was uh, I was watching uh, Mean Streets. Sure. And and you know, like De Niro on Mean Streets, it is a crazy performance. Yeah. I mean, he is manic. He's all over the place. He's doing so much, and a lot of it is is just completely off the top of his head. You know, he's not duplicating these takes, take to take. You know, he's doing. He's completely. It's it's crazy and it's brilliant. And all of it works. All of it fits with the character. And here he's very restrained, and you see a lot of stuff happening. And you know, you also do have to sort of deal a little bit with a with a makeup because in the whole de-aging process, they've basically created a look for Frank Sheeran. Yeah. Frank Sheeran has a certain like. Did you notice that his eyes are blue? He's yeah, got, I'm colorblind. Got, so oh, that wouldn't, uh, yeah. <laughs> you sorry. noticed though, yeah I, yeah. I did, but if it was in smell vision I wouldn't. Yeah, oh, there you go. <laughs> Together so, we make one person. Oh my god, uh, they, they've created kind of a different look for him, and um, and I, they, there's, it's just so he, he's so restrained in the role, and you get you get that sort of second stage of De Niro's career. You get you get the stuff from the late 70s and, and like early 80s where all of a sudden he gains a lot of technique as an actor. Yeah. He, he gains the ability to do minimalist things. And it's that minimalist, that, that provi- like delivering an energetic performance within a minimalist body language yeah. um, is what really makes him special and what makes this performance great. But... Is it the best performance in the film? No, I mean, uh, my vote for the best performance, I don't know about you, but I, I'd probably have to go with uh, our old friend Joe Pesci, who uh, yeah, really he, gives, I mean, it's been a while, I think it might have been a dozen years or so since yeah. Joe Pesci's been in a movie. No idea. What was the last movie Joe Pesci was in? It's been a while. But, I don't even uh, want to, yeah. Joe Pesci, who's, uh, you know... Apparently not, uh, recluse is the wrong word, because apparently if you're related no. to Joe Pesci, like, you know, he's not hard to find, but... Um, I was just in a restaurant in New York, Joe Pesci in that place every week. They were like, they, they were telling me, like, if you you didn't luck out, because Joe happens to not be here tonight. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, Joe Pesci, who, you know, De Niro called him out of retirement, convinced him to get back, and uh, Joe Pesci plays, you know, this mob boss, one of the two pivotal figures in uh, Frank's life. He plays Russell Buffalino. And uh, it is is the first... It It is a restrained performance as well. <laughs> yeah. and, but Joe... And this is where the history of the actors, and specifically the history of these actors in Scorsese movies... You know, Scorsese lets the audience draw on this history to where Pacino... Um, not Pacino. Joe Pesci in this movie has a quiet menace. 
Like he's not the loud, crazy guy anymore. He's the, you know, he's the older man who's been around but is connected. But there are moments where, you know, somebody will offend him or something happens and you still draw on that reservoir of Goodfellas and Casino and you're like, man, I don't know if I would insult Joe Pesci at the restaurant. Like that seems, seems like a bad move. Right? Like when Joe Pesci like gets offended that, that, that De Niro's daughter doesn't like him. Yeah. Uh, and I know that, that, you get a little worried about the daughter. It's scary. Yeah, yeah, like you're like, it's scary. You're like, oh, what? I mean, and he's not like a dick about it. He's no, very soft he's, in this. No, part. he's very much like, I like your daughter. You know, like I'm trying to be nice to your kids and most of your kids like me, but there's this one kid who. But your daughter hates me. What's yeah. going on? I don't understand. I don't like that. Uh, <laughs> he's, it's not that he's just restrained, Steve. He's very soft. There's yeah. a softness about him that's just perfect. And they, people, and, 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 and Frank Sheeran, as the narrator of the film, yeah. describes him several times just in that manner. He's like, you would never guess that this is the guy that wields so much power. Because he just doesn't strike one as a, per- a person like that. He doesn't yell at people. He's nice to people. And in the like Scorsese world of these two gentlemen and his movies, it's it's kind of an interesting flop from Raging Bull, where yes. you know, like you know, now when De Niro was the hothead with the uh, with the crazy younger brother, well, not the crazy, but you know, like Pesci was the little brother in that movie, and in this movie, Pesci's almost almost like the father figure, even sure. though they're closer in age. Absolutely. And some of the best moments in the movie are just scenes of the two of them because they just have such a natural, easy chemistry with each right, other. Right. Like you know, you really do believe that these you know there's scenes where the characters like later in the characters lives they can just be like having a meal together and you watch them and you just really you just instantly buy like sure these guys have known each other forever yeah, it's a fantastic acting chemistry yeah and and along the same lines and 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 as fantastic as as especially as the Al Pacino is fantastic as well yeah. and and one of the things I love most about this film is the the scenes between De Niro and Pacino. And we um, get full bore. Like, if, if you're one of those people who thinks sometimes Al Pacino can get a little, like, crazy and shouty, there is a lot of crazy, shouty yeah, Al Pacino, yeah. but it, it very much works in the film of, you know, he's the... He's the unreasonable guy. <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. That's right. And there's there's this theory, and, and we didn't invent this theory, but there's this, this theory that breaks down sort of the characters in these kind of movies that Scorsese made. So so let's just list them out. You got, uh, you got Mean Streets. You got Goodfellas. You got Casino. Arguably Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Arguably. And now you have this film. And they do have these sort of archetypes. And one of the archetypes is the unreasonable guy. The guy who really, really should just relax and not have his ego get away with him. Yeah. Uh, And it never ends well in these films. Uh, But there's a character like that in every film. In in Mean Streets, that character is played by Robert De Niro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny Boy. And boy, is he annoying. I I mean, (laughs) he's annoying. You're just like, what the hell is... Well, you're crazy. Yeah. It drives you crazy. And and in this film, he is Jimmy Hoffa, played by Al Pacino. And and, uh, and, um, then what you have, like, sort of the reasonable guy. Yeah. Right? That's the other one. In this movie, the reasonable guy would be... Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci, exactly. The exact flip from Goodfellas, yeah. where Joe Pesci was Joe Pesci the, unreasonable the unreasonable guy. guy yeah. uh, and um, Ray Liotta was 
fairly reasonable guy. Yeah, well, they, they, so there's the hairy, yeah, the idea is there's the reasonable guy, the unreasonable guy, and then the guy in the middle is kind of the harried guy. Right. Shout out to uh, Rob Harvilla, who's a great critic who will probably never hear this, but he's the one who laid this out, and I was like, that's a great idea. It's a great idea. <laughs> I, I have uh, heard so, that breakdown before yeah, the, as well. Uh, the the harried guy in this movie is De Niro, who, uh, you can argue, is, is De Niro the harried guy in Goodfellas? A little bit. A little bit. A little. Yeah, well, well, that that, that yeah. character gets a little bit yeah. switched around a lot yeah. of times because you know the narrator a lot of times becomes the harried guy because of the pressure on him, you know, and and so on and so forth. And there's whatever. And Goodfellas still the best of this bad yeah. this batch in my opinion. Uh, I'd go with that too. But this is still yeah. This is a movie. I mean, from some ways, the entire movie. You know, there's a number of ways to view it, but. It's a movie about this guy who's get, kind of got two dads, right? And uh, and the dads always had like an uneasy alliance, and then at some point he is literally forced to choose between the two dads. He's got to pick which one he's going to be go down with. Right, right, know? exactly. And then he makes that choice. But getting back to the performances, the scenes between De Niro and Pacino are great, and there's a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a point where they're rooming together. I mean, it's great. So if you really wanted to see these guys to, acting together in a movie and you just didn't get enough of that in whatever crappy movie they made before this, and then, of course, Heat, yeah. which is a great movie, but, you know, they, there wasn't a lot of interaction no, no, between no, them two together. instead yeah, of yeah. In, in one scene, and that was just two guys kind of feeling each other out more than anything else. This one really gets into the meat of it. This is There's a relationship between Jimmy Hoffa and Frank Sheeran. It's a cool relationship. It's a meaningful relationship. It's a kind of a love relationship, you know? It's, yeah. It's a... It's a it's it's a man love. Well, thing, and that's right? what I mean. You know, we're as much as you could spoil things that are based on real events. We're going to spoil things. But Frank is sent off to kill Jimmy Hoffa, sure. and what makes it so heartbreaking? I mean, the the mob very much uses Frank's relationship with Jimmy Hoffa against Hoffa, because sure. you know that Hoffa is crazy as he gets. You know, and there are times where he's ready to tell everybody associated with Frank to go to hell. He still has love for Frank. Right. You know, that he, uh, like, yeah, he's, he's still like, you know, Frank, I still love you. Right. And he's that, he's, Frank puts him at ease. Absolutely. And they, and the mob uses that against him. Right. right. <laughs> and, and they're and, both Irish, too. That, yeah. That's another thing. The whole thing of the Irishman is like, you know, part of, part of a thing and a little subtext that's going on is because Frank is Irish, his relationship with Hoffa is different than Hoffa's relationship with the Italians because yes. Hoffa, as we find out, is a little racist towards Italians. He's a little Italian. racist, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least in some of the Italians he deals with, yeah. I mean, that may be understandable. But everybody's racist towards everybody in these movies. So <laughs> let's just yeah. be clear. Every character is a racist in this film, uh, including the daughters. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but, I, but that's just how it is, you know, in, in, in the world of Scorsese. Well, speaking of daughters, there's been one of the controversies about this movie is that, um, you know, Frank has, Frank has a family. Right. Which is... You know, uh, not nope. dwelled on a whole lot. Not a whole lot. A guy. But there are multiple scenes with uh, Frank's daughters. We mentioned that um, Russell, you know, spends some holidays with Frank's Right, family. right, right. Absolutely. Gives, and so does nice uh, Hoffa. So does Frank. And one of uh, Frank's daughters, who's named Peggy. Peggy. And when Peggy's a kid, Peggy seems to be a very quiet kid. But also, you get a lot of scenes of Peggy observing. Peggy quietly watching what's going right. on. And... 
you kind of wait to see what the payoff is of this. And there is one. And, there is uh, totally, so, big time. And so one of the things that's established when Peggy is younger is, A, you learn that Peggy, for whatever reason, never warms to Russell, Joe Pesci's character. True. And doesn't seem to hate him. Just treats him the way, like, you know, it's just like, okay, it's my dad's friend, and it's a little weird, and sometimes he's a little too familiar with me. Uh, but it's fine. And then... But she does warm to Jimmy Hoffa. That Jimmy Hoffa yeah. and Peggy seem to have, like, a great relationship. And, uh, like, a very, like, instantly, like, he, they have a bond. And right. And she loves him. She, well, then, she reveres him. She's, she's starstruck by him yeah. because he's a star. But then the other thing established in Peggy's childhood is that you kind of, you've, you get that Peggy is figuring out what her dad does. Right. That, she and, figures uh, it then, out very quickly. And there's a climax, like you said, where Peggy comes home from school one day and she's crying because she got fired or anyway, she got in a she either got fired or got disagreement. Anyway, no, the guy the grabbed her. The guy grabbed oh, he her. Sure. Right. Some guy yeah, he yeah. shoved her great it was unknown, but there was some physical contact. But the whole the con you know, the reason <clears throat> Frank had to go and they shot this awkward scene with De Niro curb <laughs> stomping another man <laughs> is because he was a much younger man who pissed off at someone his touching his daughter right and he so he goes why did he need to bring he, her that's with the him. thing so he this brings is a Peggy really bad with decision. him and so Peggy watches her father just beat the shit out of a man in broad daylight yeah, and it's horrifying it is and from then on, she starts to put the pieces together that you know like all right my dad probably does some bad things yeah and um so then, and the adult Peggy, played by Anna Paquin, you know, is at this point, you know, she's been watching her father and is kind of quietly more and more judgmental. Very quiet. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, so to the point where when Jimmy Hoffa disappears, Peggy kind of picks up on, like, did you have something to do with that? Because you would be someone who might have something to yeah. do with that. Uh, she puts it together and, at the banquet and stuff like that. But the controversy is that... You know, this is a very manly movie. Like, there are women in the movie, but the women are always defined in the relationship to the men. It's, a, it's The men are the main characters, manly movie. And the biggest female role in the movie, or at least the most consequential role, is probably Peggy. And adult Peggy, played by Anna Paquin, does not have a lot of lines. And some people are very upset. Like, look, how come, look at this shitty uh, sexist movie. <laughs> and, I mean, the thing is, I am very sensitive to feminist ideas. I understand why, you know, like, you think there should be more movies starring women from a women's point of view. I understand all that. This is not that movie. And also, Anna Paquin's great in this movie. Fantastic. I mean, she is a great performance. Fantastic. That's such a bogus argument. I, and I, I said earlier, a lot of times you wonder, like, do, do these kind of bullshit controversies, are they actually generated by the PR department for the film and itself? And just to drum up I interest. mean, I'm yeah. sorry to say that because everything is now driven by the, these clicks on the Internet. So it's... It, it's absolutely conceivable that anybody who reads an article like that may end up watching the movie they wouldn't normally watch just to get outraged at the supposedly poor treatment of poor Anna Paquin. And I mean, Anna, Anna Paquin, Paquin, Paquin should job. probably shut her mouth because she won an Oscar for The Piano. And you know how many fucking lines Holly Hunter has in that movie, Andre? I don't think... The I'm answer's not, zero. I'm not sure Anna... <laughs> I'm not sure Anna Paquin was complaining about it. This is typical. She's not. Typical... She's actually the opposite. Anna yeah. Paquin is like, no, I was honored to be in the movie. I had a great time making it. Thanks. Yeah, that was great. 
Yeah, and, she should have ended it with that too. And, and like, De Niro. Oh, was by also the way, like, assholes, acting doesn't mean yeah. talking necessarily. Well, that was basically what De Niro did on her behalf. Was well, De Niro is like, that's not what the role required. Right. And right. she was great. Yeah, bullshit, <laughs> bullshit controversy. Because Anna Pack was great in that movie. She was. Well, she was. I mean, and 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 it's hard to express a million different things with just one yeah. look at another character. You can watch Fucking it. There's a, try. there's a scene okay? where Frank gets feminists. an award. At <laughs> give it a shot, feminists. <laughs> All right, bullshit feminists. Now we're just trying to get publicity. <laughs> um, there's a there's a scene where Frank gets an award, and at this big banquet, like I mean. Peggy's, you know, Anna Paquin's face registers a whole host of emotions, you know? At one point, she's dancing with Frank, and she's happy, but then she kind of looks around and notices that there are a lot of kind of, there's some wise guys uh, kind of glaring at uh, Jimmy Hoffa, and she's like... I don't know about this. Yeah. And no, I mean, that's... she's a very smart character, and a normal thing to do in a film of this type would be to, to like, have her be basically a silent observer and then have some kind of resolution at the end where she kind of strains it out with her dad and they they have this sort of tear-filled scene and maybe she forgives and maybe she doesn't but there's some kind of closure this movie gives you none of that shit no, no. this movie like he tries to see her towards the end of his life and she's like you know what fuck you yeah. I'm genuinely done with you. Gives him literally and, the and silent treatment. Absolutely, and that's how it works, and that's a pivotal, pivotal moment in the film, and and it's true to life, man. People, that, you know, once kids break with their parents, that's, yeah. that, that stuff does not very often work out, uh, in my experience, and, and I mean, this certainly not with my parents, God forbid, but, yeah. you know, I've seen it, and it's not good. Yeah. And, and um, it's, well, it's, so- it's real. Yeah. Well, so Anna Paquin's great. Were there, uh, you know, we talked about the major, the the headliners. Is there any other of the supporting performances stood out for you? I, I really enjoyed Sebastian Maniscolo as uh, as uh, Joey Gallo. Yeah. I remember Joey Gallo when Joey Gallo got whacked. It was uh, it was like in the news and stuff like that or something like that. It was it was kind of fun. So when you you got to still had a lot of mafia whackings. Yeah. If you actually you know throughout the film you see these little titles that pop on when the characters come on for literally a second and you never see them again. But a title pops up giving the name of that character and how and when they got killed. Most of these guys got whacked in the early. 80s and some of them in the late 70s. So literally there was this huge, huge slew where the Italian mob, as we knew it, got basically just wiped clean yeah. in the early 80s. And then things changed after that. Well, we'll come back to that in a second. because I want to, But uh, I, I really liked Ray Romano in this. And oh, I've Ray seen Ray Romano. Romano give some other good performances. Yeah. But he plays uh, another Buffalino as a lawyer yes, in the family. His cousin, yeah. But uh, I thought he was great. He was. I mean, I will say one of the things. I love Ray Romano, by the way. He's a great actor. He's, he is a great actor. <laughs> I've seen him in so much yeah. stuff now. And now I'm no longer surprised by his awesomeness. No, no, no. no. I just yeah, you awesome. no longer think of him as like a comedian who's dabbling. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, that's another yeah. actor. Yeah. But, I mean, it's the thing, like, whatever secret sauce Scorsese has, I mean, in, this movie is no exception that, in general, the performances are excellent in Scorsese movies, mm-hmm. like, across the board. Mm-hmm. And um, and this, yeah, everybody's great. You know, the people, the small parts, they work yeah. just how they're supposed to. Harvey Keitel does not get enough to do. Well, but that's almost, that is also, like, a 
par for the course of Scorsese as an entire career that poor Harvey Keitel is odd man out for what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, always the odd Keitel, man. Keitel, you know, gets cast as the lead in Mean Streets, and you're like, he's like, this is my guy. We're gonna be together forever. And then guess who else is cast in Mean Streets? This young De Bobby De Niro. Boom, boom, done. And, and Keitel's basically out. I Keitel's know. a supporting He's character. He's back to playing the pimp and Taxi yeah, Driver. Yeah. He I gets mean, to play Judas. But, uh, well, so. I mean, Judas arguably is his biggest performance. What's funny about Mean Streets is De Niro gets top billing. I know. Like, like clearly, Keitel is the main character. And incidentally, Keitel is fantastic in the film. Sure. And... and, and um, and and De Niro gets top billing somehow, and Ted tells it every scene. Yeah, so it's yeah. just like. And in this one, he's basically. We do a whole separate Kaitel podcast, but that's uh, the Kytel, story of Kaitel was the in, guy yeah. who like probably had a six month window of his life where he maybe thought him and this Marty guy are gonna like make twelve movies together. And uh, no, Marty. Marty picked somebody else. Yeah, they made a lot of good movies. Well, you know, I mean, Keitel is a is a different breed of cat. Yeah, you, you he is it. actually the one guy. I didn't have a problem with his performance, but he was maybe the only role in the film where it it just seemed like oh, they just wanted stunt casting. Yeah, yeah. Stunt, to be honest, well, let me ask you this question: What do you think Ray Liotta did to piss off Marcus? <laughs> You know, Leota's the same. It's kind of funny because the movies came out very close together. I always wonder if Ray Liotta and Gabriel Byrne go out for drinks. And they were like, we did Goodfellas and Miller's Crossing, two of the high points of these acclaimed directors. Everybody loved us. And then we never get another phone call. I mean, nobody watches Goodfellas and says, well, it's a great movie, but Ray Liotta was not good. Yeah. I mean, nobody says that. Ray Liotta, like, is the glue that holds that film together. He is amazing. Uh, of course, same same can be said for Gabriel, Gabriel Byrne in that Byrne's film. Fantastic. And it's just like, what, <laughs> which is what I'm saying. It has to have been behavioral. Yeah. It has to have been some kind of shenanigans on the set. You don't think it's a possibility that... Or I don't know if it's or a could chance just that they're just like... We like this guy for this one role. Yeah, you know? very possible, very possible. But but, but that, 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 that is like... an underhanded compliment, though. It's just saying, well, this guy can only do one yeah. thing. I mean, I mean, Ray, Ray, Ray Liotta. I mean, you would not... think in the Irishman, like surely Ray Liotta could have. <laughs> it seems like Ray Liotta could have played the Bobby Cannavale part. You know? Yeah, which was a little bit of a throwaway. I think Bobby Cannavale could have probably used a more a bigger performance too. But but it was cool to see him just. Oh, I like pop up I like him world. too, and he was fine. But I just yeah. If we're discussing, there were so many guys that Ray were Liotta there that Ray, Ray Liotta could have stepped into those roles as well. <laughs> so so yeah, it's it, this this is a thought that crossed my mind. But okay, so you were talking about the 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 death dates that pop up on the screen. Yeah. I actually want to go back to this because one of the things about the Irishman is um, the way, you know, there's always a critique of mob movies. Like, do they glamorize the mob? Do they not glamorize the mob? Most mob movies have an arc where, you know, it starts off. I mean, Goodfellas is obviously, like, the number one example of this, <laughs> yeah. where, like, you know, the movie starts with, I've always wanted to be a gangster. Right, right. talks about how great being a gangster is. Yeah. And then by the end of the movie, it doesn't seem that great to be a gangster. That's the That's the arc. And this movie, I mean, it kind of has that arc, but it's much slower paced, and they really kind of hammer home early, especially with these death dates. I thought that was the way of Scorsese hammering home that, like, you know what, all these guys, it doesn't end well. Right, you right. Know? Like, they either get shot three times in the face yeah. at age 35, or they end up dying in prison. Yeah, and uh, and that's, 
And this like movie, more than most mob movies, it wasn't even so much like, yeah, live fast, die young. It was more, you know, if you spend your life almost not caring, like making it a, a an asset in your work to not care too much, you could wind up just an old man that, you know, nobody cares about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or de- yeah, exactly, and that's that's that, that that's sort of it's sort of the the, the reverse Goodfellas, right? Yeah. right? It starts at an old people's home, and and you know goes to the very elderly De Niro, sort of you know looking uh, looking back on his life, and uh, and you know just works sort of backwards to that point where yeah you know live fast, die young, or live slow, betray all your friends, and lose your family. Yeah, and. Similar to The Wolf of Wall Street, you know, that's a much different energy movie, but I feel like the length was important to this story because, you know, this more than Scorsese's other gangster movies has moments of, um, not necessarily boredom, but just it's mundane stuff. You know, the scene where he kills Hoffa, like you see him like, you know, he's got a car ride and a plane ride and, and Scorsese really wanted you in this movie to spend time with like, the unglamorous parts of this stuff, you know, like they're really kind of boring times in between the action-packed hits. And then, you know, you just spend a lot of time driving in cars, waiting around. It could be, like, not as glamorous. And then also when things slow down, I thought the length of the movie, like, you really did get to spend... It was important, I thought, to spend yeah. time with Frank, like, where he really was, like, alone. And, yeah. you know, I mean, there's a really... There's a scene, it's kind of funny because there's a rapper named Action Bronson who plays the guy trying to sell him a casket. But, you know, it's a sad scene where De Niro has to go and, you know, pick out his own casket and burial plot and all that stuff. And That's Action Bronson. Yeah, Everybody Action talk, Bronson. Oh, I'm, I totally, like, He's missed the guy it. selling the coffin. You hear people talking yeah. about it. It's like, Action Bronson has way more lines than Anna Paquin. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, but He's Anna Paquin may get a fucking Oscar nomination. That's right, yeah, yeah. And Action Bronson might get another role out of it. Which, I mean, that, let's face it, that's stunt casting, too, but it worked great. I was getting, like, you're like, yeah, let's throw in some young New York guy. But uh, Scorsese has been... At stunt casting for years. Oh, I mean, yeah. had, you know, David Bowie played Pontius Pilate. Sure. Well, <laughs> and you, I have to imagine I'm that great. even if De Niro had never heard of Action Bronson, or uh, Scorsese had never heard of Action Bronson, you know, De Niro's got obviously a soft spot for New York characters. <laughs> right? <laughs> I thought you were going to say rappers, but <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> Maybe he does. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Probably like to hang out with him. I yeah. Think. How would you rank the soundtrack of this film as far as the nostalgic oldies soundtrack? You know, it's... Uh, no it's, Stone songs, right? No. No. Weird, That's a right? tough call. Unusual. Was there no Stone songs? No, calls? not a single Stone song. Yeah. But, I mean, most of it felt kind of in the pocket of other Scorsese. Yeah. Well, Again, what, without feeling like... I didn't, you know, it, none of it felt like a knockoff or a, a bad imitation, but, you know, it's period appropriate. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. And the period thing is very interesting because most of these films, with the exception of, of Mean Streets, Mean Streets is a contemporary film at, at the time yeah, of its yeah. time. The rest of the films are these sort of time travel narrations, yeah. narratives that take ha- place that, over decades. That's right, go over decades. So a lot of it has to be invoked through music and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, he's kind of the master of that. And this movie's no different, right? I mean, this movie more so than ever than than his other films because this movie gets into genuine historical events. It gets into the Kennedy assassination, the Bay of Pigs, the the 
it doesn't get yeah. too much into the the uh, the Bobby Kennedy assassination, of course. That, but that that, that was uh, that was uh, yeah, yeah. But Bobby Kennedy is certainly in the movie. He certainly uh, yeah. is played by <laughs> Jack Houston. Yeah. And a, uh, a major like a, Bobby Kennedy, but whatever. Bobby Kennedy's kind of a major plot point in the movie. Actually, yeah, he is. He is kind of the weird antagonist of the film. Yeah. you know, he's just they just have like these little like zoom ins into his like vicious little face. Well, uh, and and sets the uh, you could argue without Bobby Kennedy, the Jimmy Hoffa, um, Buffalino conflict maybe would never have gotten to that point. That's right. Like, <laughs> that's right. It it takes me to. What was your favorite scene in the movie? Like, 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 like when we, the, the whole historical thing, and you, you kind of get into these, this structural aspect of the film, which is interesting to talk about because the film does have an interesting structure. But yeah, let's let's get to like the individual nitty gritty. Like, well, it's uh, it's what Tarantino always calls a hangout movie. For uh, you know, this movie isn't one where it had like the big set pieces. Like in right. Goodfellas, for example, everybody always talks. I mean, there's a lot of great set pieces in Goodfellas. But, for example, the scene where uh, Henry Hill gets caught, like, you know, that right. day where he's driving around. Right, like, right, right. that's a fantastic sequence, and that's, like, a gangbusters, like, set piece. Right. He's this making movie, sauce, like, he's doing coke. Yeah. He's, he's, I mean, most of paranoid. my favorite scenes in this movie were just, like, interactions between two or three characters. Yeah. You know, um, I will exactly. say I, I was quite fond of uh, the meeting in Miami between uh, Jimmy Hoffa, Frank, and... Tony Pro. Tony Pro. Tony Pro, where they, uh, you know, they already had, and they tried to go have, like, a let's smooth things out in Miami. And everything about it was great. Like, you know, like, they're not, <laughs> like, Jimmy Hoff is in a suit. Tony Pro shows up in shorts. <laughs> and Fucking late. Oh, and it's hilarious, because the whole point of the movie is, like, maybe these guys can work something out. And within three minutes, Pacino's just making racial slurs at the guy. <laughs> <laughs> He so goaded him by being scene. late and wearing shorts. Like, like I would say Tony Pro, I like that actor. Stephen Graham, yeah, he did Stephen great. Stephen Graham is great, and I've always liked him since, God, lock, stock, and two yeah. smoking barrels, I suppose. But, but uh, you know, I, I, I think, like, Ray Liotta would have been Oh, yeah, poor role. Ray Liotta. And, I mean, think about it. Maybe he's too Liotta tall. That, that guy yeah, didn't have Yeah, he had the yeah, little guy. He had a height requirement. Yeah, yeah. I suppose. But anyway, more fantasy. Maybe was some it? future digital movie that they could they could insert him in. Well, did you have a favorite scene either? What was your favorite scene? I thought the favorite scene for me was there were several. They were all acting scenes. That was yeah. the thing. Like, like, like we mentioned earlier, this is not Scorsese's greatest hits. This is Scorsese using his current like bag of tricks, which is more restrained than he was when he was young. He's not trying to show off. He's not trying to, he's referencing other stuff, but he, he doesn't want to reuse the same tricks over and over again, which is very admirable actually yeah. for, for a guy working with the genre, with this cast, blah, blah, blah. So an amazing job of restraint here. My favorite scenes are acting scenes. And the number one for that for me is the scene between Robert De Niro and Al Pacino where basically Frank gives Jimmy his last chance. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a heartbreaking scene. They're both fantastic. They both understand it. There's a it, 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 there's just so much, so many levels of coolness going on here. Yeah. From direction to performance to the pacing of it to the the, the the script is great. We have to mention that, and and uh, 
it's just it's just wonderful and those are the best scenes in this movie yeah there's like and there's a couple moments of quiet tension you know there's the scene where de niro uh frank burned down he, he bombed out this laundry place <laughs> yeah. and he didn't know the laundry place was co-owned by angelo harvey <laughs> cartel's character who's like i mean my understanding was he's like one level up yeah. From uh, Joe Pesci's character in the mob. Yeah, something like that, yeah. At that time, I think. Yeah. Later but, on, it probably Yeah, was. but so that was the scene, like, you know, where Angelo calls him over, and, you know, he he likes Frank, but he doesn't have the relationship with Frank that uh, Russell has. Right, right. And so, you know, Russell basically went to bat for him. Otherwise, Frank maybe wouldn't have made a dower or two of the movie. And... Um, <laughs> But that's a great scene with the quiet menace. I like that. Um, I, you know, Anna Paquin with one word in the scene where they're right. watching the TV about Jimmy Hoffa being missing. Yeah. And they're like, oh, have you called Hoffa's wife yet? And he's like, no, I haven't. And, uh, you know, and then Peggy goes, why? You know, why haven't you called him? And that's, and that's, that, that's, that's both a question and accusation and just a, like, I know everything, asshole kind of a thing. Uh, yeah, that's where you don't need a lot of words. Yeah, and uh, Ray Liotta also probably feeling left out because uh, there is a Goodfellas callback. Somebody you don't see a whole lot was this actress Welker White, who plays a uh, Josephine Hoffa, Hoffa's wife. Oh, who that's famously, right. She was the babysitter. That's right, the babysitter. Yeah. Oh man, I totally forgot Needs about a lucky her. Hat. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And she's great. Fantastic. <laughs> yes, that's right. She does a great job. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting. But uh, but uh, there was a good like set piece, like the overall set piece, the the banquet where you get like the the tr- the hilarious where Frank wins the award to Frank. Yeah, well, yeah. it's literally the tribute dinner to him for his accomplishments within the union. You yeah. know, because that's his main job. His main job is not just going around whacking people. He is a well known union leader. Well, but he gets kind of like you know appointed that. Yes, I mean, it, well, it was a really <laughs> yes, funny. But he's was, you know he's very clear that he's a, a union man going back. Sure, he's very but there's clear a scene that. where he goes to talk to like I don't know, the guy who runs a car dealership or something, but you know he go like Hoffa suggests to him like hey there's an opening for like you know to be the the president of this one branch of right. the union, I think you should do it. You know, and Frank's like, I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm not a politician. I don't go up right. and make speeches. And then he does it. Well, but Hoffa's like, look, you'll win the election. It's not like, you know, it's not going to be like a fair fight. Like, it's not going to be like you against some super charming guy. Like, if I declare that I want you to be the next president of this branch, you will be the next president. And there's a great scene where De Niro goes to meet. Like, you know, the car dealership guy and, uh, you know, just to introduce himself. It's like, hey, I'm the new, like, union president for this branch. And the guy's like, oh. And he tries to even give him, like, a payoff. And Frank's like, no, 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 we're good. (laughs) And just that one little scene I thought was great because, A, it established, like, maybe that would be how Frank endears himself to people is just by his hands-off approach. But then also, like, Frank looks so uncomfortable. Like, you know, he kind of, he knows intellectually, like, I should go you know, shake some hands and stuff. <laughs> but it, it also, in you know, reminded me of, like, this must be what it's like for De Niro to be on, like, an Oscar campaign where they're like, Bobby, why don't you go have lunch with these guys? And he's like, hi. Ah, okay. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but yeah, yeah, so eventually he does get an award, you know, for his his uh, contributions. Well, well, that sequence, that's sort of the central sequence of the film, right? That, that's all that's these where different the, things the are coming to a head. Things are coming yeah, to yeah. a head. Everything comes together, and it's a great sequence. And it's it's not really a set piece in that in the in the standard Scorsese set piece where like it's all connected by editorially or it's all connected by a song or whatever the case may be. It's kind of a bigger, longer sequence, almost like a wedding at the beginning of The Godfather, the first Godfather. Um, and uh, and it's cool. It's a cool, like, heart of the movie that's very enjoyable and beautifully shot and has a lot of stuff going on. Like, if you're going to, if you don't have three hours, I would say just watch that scene. Just yeah, yeah. Just yeah. that sequence and just watch it. And, and I think you'll have a good sense idea. of what's going on. But about you won't Hoffa, get the emotional yeah. payoff. Yeah, and you get Frank, you know, feeling very connected to Hoffa, but then also Hoffa overstepping his bounds, <laughs> at least as far as the mob's concerned. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and this movie does, you know, in terms of how the mob works, and I know there's, you know, again, as someone who's not in the mob, but <laughs> you, know, you hear about <laughs> double-crossing, things like that, but this is an interesting theory that I heard from a guy once about, like, why... Like Malcolm X was, say, assassinated by the Nation of Islam, which is, it's all fun and games until you start fucking with somebody's money. (laughs) And so, like, the thing they were talking about with Bobby Kennedy and Hoffa was that he was starting to affect the revenue streams. So it's like nobody really gives a shit. You know, I mean, there are, you can insult a guy. And it's bad news to insult a guy who's known for killing people. But, you know, like, you can be a loud mouth, you can be crazy, but if you start messing with the money, that's... <laughs> yeah, it's not a good move. Getting back to those death title cards. Yeah. The best one, of course, was the guy who was not killed. Like, the one guy, remember there was one title card where it was like, it was like Sammy... DiGiorno, loved by everyone, died of old age. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was just like one guy out of everybody one. who just yeah. didn't make any enemies. And he was sort of like, uh, like he reminded me of the Charlie character in Mean Streets that just yeah. everybody loved that guy. But, yeah. you know, still can get shot, but, you know, uh, generally well-liked. That's uh, that. That's kind of fun. Well, and Frank was well-liked enough to, uh, he, he won- did... Yeah, I guess I started off saying he wasn't that bright, but he did successfully navigate a world where, you know, a wrong turn winds up in death. Uh, you know, alleg- allegedly he did successfully navigate the world, at least in the, in the in the narrative of this film. Also, just some fun historical stuff, like like the the implication, for example, that it was in fact Bobby's messing with Hoffa, the unions, and the mob that got. John Kennedy assassinated in the first place. Yeah. That would be the like a fairly logical motivation. The whole thing with the Bay of Pigs was interesting. Why the mob did not actually instantly put the kibosh to the Bobby Kennedy shenanigans towards them in their view. Yeah. Because they were waiting for the payoff from the Kennedy administration to take Cuba back from the communists. And you know, by default get the mob right back into this extremely lucrative you know, playground, yeah. Uh, which then they had to kind of take to Las Vegas, which, you know, created casino. There you go. Which gave us casino. But also interesting how, you know, how they showed the, the rigging of the election in Illinois in favor of Kennedy. <laughs> yes. You know, that's like we've all heard about it. You know, we all laugh about it. We all hear a lot about election interference. Well, there you go. That's how it's done. And you know what? It's done exactly the same way. This very day, <laughs> I'm because walking away can. from that. <laughs> All right, 
you you can. That's it. That's it right there. But so that like the historical stuff was super fun. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, I guess you could say that maybe there's a bullshit aspect where there's Frank is almost like the Zelig. Remember that Woody Allen movie? Where yeah, he would yeah. Pop up and it, I mean, I will say watching it is, you know, I, I'm not enough of a historian to really pick apart all the historical stuff about what did and didn't happen. But, I mean, the movie is told almost more like a gangster Forrest Gump than it is supposed to be. JFK. So, like, anything that happens in the movie, um, you know, apart from people literally dying, but, you know, like, all these theories about this caused this or this caused that, it's always placed in the point of view of sure. one of these gangsters talking, right. which, as we mentioned, they're unreliable. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Like, they, they've got a really great out for if anyone's like, you know, historically that didn't happen. And like, well, we're not saying it happened. We're saying that's what this gangster this told guy. this other gangster yeah. about why he thought it was happening. Exactly. And, you know, like, exactly. you never know, it could be full shit. It, it's always interesting. I, I, it's always enjoyable. There's something very fascinating, and I know I'm not the only one fascinated by this, but the criminal view of history. Yeah. And now, you know, because, and from the 20th century, we start getting that. We, we really don't have a lot of it going back to the, you know, to the pre-Enlightenment era, certainly yeah. we don't have. But it exists. It's, there, it's a thing. There's a there's a view of history from the point of view of the underworld. And that's what Martin Scorsese has been really the the poet of. That's that's the, he's He's been so good at that. And not to, you know, not to minimize his other films and his importance as a filmmaker. But I think at the end of the day, he will be remembered for these films. The films that sort of view the history of America through the eyes of the criminals, through the yeah. eyes of people outside the law. And, and this, this well, one Irish of the people. things I do wonder sometimes, and this is almost, you know, it gets into a larger topic, but, you know, Scorsese's movies about New York and specifically, you know, the Italian experience in New York, there's always crime, you know? Oh, <laughs> oh but that's like you, but you wonder, like, how much of that... Like, is it true that if you were, like, an Italian in New York in the 60s and 70s, like, it's inevitable that you have friends who were wound up in crime? Yes. And, well, I mean, my main source of this is the movies. Yeah. And I do know that some people bristled about it. You know, there's a famous story that Al Pacino had, like, his favorite Italian deli in New York. And after The Godfather came out, they, the guy wouldn't serve him anymore because he's like... People already think we're all a bunch of fucking gangsters, and now you got to go make this movie, which implies like all Italians are just a bunch of fucking gangsters. Um, but yeah, yeah, it is one yeah, of Scorsese's always, legacy. You always it really does that. paint a picture that, that, especially for people outside New York, you know, like you're like, what's New York like? And Scorsese's view of New York is really a lot of people's notion of what New York is like. Yeah. Now, I will say, you know, I lived in New York briefly and talking to New Yorkers. Uh, New Yorkers I've met also seem to say that's what New York is like. So no one's saying Scorsese is actually, they're actually like, no, that's, that's pretty, fairly yeah. accurate. Well, mythology is appealing to people. I mean, New York is certainly not what it was back then. I mean, and again, just, yeah. just literally watching Mean Streets yesterday, it's, you know, New York's nothing like that now. But, uh, but he does have an interesting point of view of the, of that world, you know, and that world is violent and, and, and has a, has it always has this implied violence, this sort of violence under the surface that's then backed, usually backed by real violence, which gives it authenticity and authority. Uh, 
again, you know, this is this is this is what Scorsese does best. I think it's in, invariable, regardless of my enormous respect of other films by Scorsese, many other films by Scorsese. I love him. He's he's probably my favorite director ever. Um, but man, he's good at this, and I, it's such a relief. And when I said I was excited at the beginning of the podcast, this has been an exciting conversation for me. I you know I feel like we can talk about it for a for another couple of hours because yeah. the movie is just chock full of stuff. And I started watching it again, and I started noticing all these things I didn't notice the first time. And, I, and then I'm going to watch it again, I think. And that's what makes the Netflix thing pretty great. Yeah, no, it is, and it's great. And I will, you know. Scorsese never had a period where, like, I thought he was shitty, per se. But, you know, years ago, you and I did a kind of Scorsese overview. Retrospective. Yeah, and he was in a period where, like, the movies weren't quite as good. And we mentioned they seemed more impersonal. And uh, it seemed like he's out of that now. Like, you know, that he's... Wolf of Wall Street, I thought, was his best movie in maybe 20 in many, years. Yeah, of course. And then The wait. Irishman is also very good. And it's uh, so Scorsese here, mid to late 70s Scorsese. Is yeah, good good revival and good that he has a, an ability and, and still the clout to make this kind yeah. of stuff. Because, again, it was, you know, our greatest directors are either dying out or on the wane where you're not feeling like, I don't know, I mean, I hope we get another Spielberg masterpiece, but... I don't know, you know. So here we got a possible masterpiece from Scorsese. It's not the best Scorsese movie. I don't. I mean, I don't know if it's even top five, but that's more a remark on how good Scorsese is. Exactly. Uh, but certainly in the, in his career, this will go down as a you know, like a very honorable late period edition. Uh, well, well I'll, I'm I'm going to get controversial here again, Steve, and say I like this movie more than I like Casino. I mean, I've seen Casino tons yeah. of times, and I think Casino is a very flawed movie for a whole variety of reasons. I think, I think first of all, I think I don't like De Niro's performance in that movie. I, I think, like, I, I feel like in, in, in Casino, De Niro should have been just played by another actor. I, well, I just felt wrong with, with, with De Niro in that role. My quasi-deal breaker with Casino is Pesci, actually. That Pesci, I really did feel, was like more or less just doing Goodfellas Part 2. It and had that vibe. Well. And also, again, and having Pesci play, again, the unreasonable guy wow. w w was instantly... It was like it was... Goodfellas Part Two too There's much. There's no way to... Uh, yeah, like if... But flashier and less complex. Yeah. So I would say this movie succeeds on way more levels than Casino does, in my honest opinion. Also have to mention the excellent cinematography by Rodrigo Prieto. Yeah, that guy is... Fantastic uh, DP. I don't know much about him other than I. he's done several movies recently where you... You're like, wow, that movie looked great. Who shot it? And it was, it was Rodrigo, Rodrigo Prieto. Prieto. Yeah, right. Yeah, Rodrigo Prieto's great, and, and they did some cool things, and visually, some very subtle things, like the look of the movie. You know, the, this movie shifts visually from decade to decade, and but it doesn't, it, it's not hitting you over the head with it. And, and I love that about the work. And, and there were a lot of, you know, technical things that they were doing that I found interesting. Um, I read an interview with Prieto, and, and he was talking about, like, for the, a lot of the de-aging stuff. So scenes that took place in the past were all digitally shot. But once they got into an age that was closer and didn't require the digital de-aging anymore, they went to 35-millimeter film, and then they would switch film stocks 
depending on the decade. It's a great film. It's a great film from Martin Scorsese. I'm excited by it. I want to see it again. If you've liked his films in the past, you should see it. It's a film that has something to say about life. It's a film that has something to say about American history in the 20th century. Uh, it's a nostalgia piece, uh, so you may enjoy it on that level. But, man, you will definitely enjoy the performances because there's some top, top-level acting going yeah. on here. It'll be a and great movie to, uh, to hang out with for years to come. Absolutely. Well, that's about it, Steve. That is about it, yeah. I'm Andre Shane. I'm Steve Askin. We're out of here.